This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Yeah, what we just read in the text there, I believe mirrors what we're seeing in the world around us today, especially this month. If you're gonna grab a word to describe Babel, if you're gonna sum it up into one word, church, what one word would you use to sum up that story? Pride. And we are now in the midst of Pride Month where once again you have man in unquestionable, blatant display of pride, shaking their fist at God in unparalleled bravado. And what we'll see happen is also what we see happening in the text. God will show up. But let's not just put our gaze outward. We need a gaze within our own walls, the walls of our church. Where can pride settle in here? The walls of our homes, where can we be prideful there? Hey, the walls of our own hearts, man. Where do we as individual people struggle with pride? And this text is so very instructional. In fact, I'm gonna give you six warnings about pride from the text. Yes, I said six. So about two o'clock, we'll let the next people come in to do their part of it. And it's a little nervous laugh I'm hearing right now, but we'll get through it. Six warnings in the text, and uh, let me give you the first one. First of all, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice, and we need to be quite aware of, the deception of pride, the deception of pride. What I wanna do to kind of get things moving this morning is, first of all, look back in chapter 10. And what you have in chapter 10 is uh, the genealogy again, this progression of genealogy. And the more I study 
this book, in the original language, the more amazed I am at the genius of God, yes, but also Moses, the author, and how it all uh, lays out. Because you see something in the text over and over again here in chapter 10 that might be a little confusing. In fact, take a look at number five. Well, first of all, as you see this, uh, verse number one, these are the generations of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons who were born after the flood, and the sons of Japheth were, and they go on to describe all the sons of Japheth and all the sons of Ham and, and all the sons of Shem. And it talks about how they're going out and they're dispersing all around the world. And we remember that's exactly what God told them to do. After coming off the ark, God told them to go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And as you read through chapter 10, the assumption might be, well, look at them. They're being obedient. They're going out and doing the thing they're supposed to do. It's exactly what God said. Well, they must have really learned their lesson in the flood. They must have said, we're not gonna disobey that God again, so we're gonna go out and we're gonna obey God. On first glance, that's what it might look like until you dig a little further into the text. Because take a look at this. Take a look at verse number five. From these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with their own what? language by their clans and their nations. So you have that there. Take a look at verse number 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands and their nations. And the same thing is repeated in verse number 31. These are the sons of Shem by their clan, their languages. So all throughout chapter 10 is talking about multiple languages. So then you get to 11, verse number one, and look what it said. Now the whole earth had what? One language and one word. So is just Moses confused here? No, not at all. What's happening is he's saying, yeah, they're dispersing into their language groups, and what might look like obedience is really not at all, because what Moses does then in chapter 11 is he kind of backs up and he zooms in on an event that really spurred on this spreading out of the entire earth. It is uh, Moses saying, uh, here's what actually really happened. And what looks like humble obedience is not obedience at all. It's not obedience at all. And this is the deception of pride. It might look great on the outside. It might look like humble obedience. It may look like that to a lot of people. But under the surface, behind the curtains, something else is going on entirely. As I was thinking about the deception of pride as we've seen it in, in our world, my mind went to a couple of things. And my mind went to what happened in Mars Hill and the rise and fall of Mars Hill, that whole podcast, or you get a chance to listen to this. Because here's the thing, and, and you know, not just, we can't just point a finger at Mars Hill. You know, I have to point, I give my own finger at myself and think about Harvest and James McDonald and all of that. Because as you look at the ministries and what was happening, man, it looked like God was, and he was, doing amazing things. People were being saved, churches were being planted, the word was being preached, and you looked at all that and you could say, man, God is blessing this. In fact, it was so hard to identify and to point out the failures of the leaders because of all the fruit that was happening. But was all the fruit happening for the glory of Jesus Christ? 
And the unfortunate thing is, is when you pulled the curtain back and you got behind the doors of some of those places, you realized very quickly, no, it was not always happening for the praise of the name of Jesus. Sometimes, very often, it was happening for the praise of the leader at the top. And this was very evident for both of these guys when you crossed their pride. We saw exactly what that looked, at, looked like, and it was not good. And this is pride. It looks good, but is it really? So that's gazing outward. Let's gaze within the walls of our own church a little bit. Is it possible to serve at redemption and to look like you're doing the right thing and the good thing, but really there's pride behind it? Is it possible to be on a worship team, to serve in children's ministry, to preach a sermon, and to do that really for your own glory and not the glory of the Lord? Pride is deceitful. How about in your own home? Is it easy to, I mean, come on, we know this. Why should I do that, Dad? Because I said so. After all, I'm the dad. <laughs> There's something to um, obedience for sure. There's something to pride. Here's the thing about pride. Not only can a prideful heart deceive others, it can deceive us. Let's be careful. We're on the lookout and be warned about the deception of pride. Not only the deception of pride, I also want to show you this. Let's take a look at the determination of pride, the determination of pride. And this is interesting in the text because the people of Shinar, like they put their heart out in full display. So again, verse number one, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and they had brick for stone and butamen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Would you take your pen out, and would you underline that little phrase in Genesis 11, verse number four, and let us make a name for ourselves. Church, that is the very heart of pride. I want to make a name. I want to be known. Whose name were they supposed to live for? I mean, God was very clear to disperse and to fill the earth. And we think, well, what does God want to fill the earth with? Uh, Isaiah is very clear about this. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Read this last line with me. The whole earth is full of his glory, for his glory. And just a few weeks ago, we talked about how when we talk about glory and name, those two things go hand in hand. Remember I said, hey, say the name Trump. Say the name The Rock. Say the name Elon. And it means something. You think of something. There is a renown. There is sometimes infamy with a name. And this is the idea. I, I want to I make a name. I want to bring myself glory. And the people of Shinar are so bold to say it out loud. I want to make a name for myself. Wow, those folks down in Shinar, man, they can make bricks. They make great bricks. And they can build. Have you seen that city? 
wow, did you check out Nimrod's Instagram account this morning? I say Nimrod because if you look back in chapter 10, verse number eight, you see this. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. So I guess if you call somebody a Nimrod, you actually give him a compliment? I don't know. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, uh, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So this is probably the guy who was spurring on all of the, let's build, let's make a name for ourselves. Nimrod was the guy. Did you check out his Instagram account? You get the idea. It's like, man, they were all about making a name for ourselves. And what can I say? Isn't this the very heart of social media today? Can we be honest about this? I mean, this is such a driver for so many people, church. This has really become our culture and really become the air that we breathe. Notice me. Look what I have done. Check me out. I want to make a name for ourselves. Pastors seek to make a name for themselves. Posting and posturing to be seen by others. Moms do it all the time when they post their top 10 amazing mom tips and organic meal recipes. The number one occupation now sought by junior and senior hires, you know what it is? To be a YouTube influencer. We're all about making a name for ourselves. Well, I don't do social media. Well, great, you're not exempt either. Homeschool moms brag on their academic achievements. Little league dads fight for greater glory as they scream at their kids on the ball diamond. Christians can't seem to do a good deed without, you know, here's me just handing out food to the poor. (laughs) Just humbled by all the blessings I get when I give to others. I was listening to a podcast this week and they were talking about uh, Letterman jackets. You think about Letterman jackets. What if adults wore Letterman jackets? What would we put on them? You know, pastors, how many conferences they've been to and books that they've written and, you know, all that. And, you know, and uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, workouts. You know, you uh, um, PX90 people would have big old fat patches all over for all of that. And, and uh, you know, whatever the case may be, it just like we just adore these things with all of our achievements because we want to, say it with me, make a name for ourselves. Make a name for ourselves. It's so hard. I mean, look, I was preaching the sermon. I'm like, what more can I say about this? Uh, but I'm t- here's what I would say. If you're not actively fighting the need to be noticed, if you're not actively fighting the approval of man, if you are not really fighting this, you're probably losing the war on pride. You hear me say this? If you are not actively regularly engage with the battle of your own heart and your own desires to fight against this, chances are you're already losing the war with pride. Considering the desire and the propensities of our own heart and considering the culture that's around us that is pressuring us into this, if you're not actively fighting it, chances are you're falling to it. And uh, I just wonder uh, if we're warned enough about that. Notice the determination of pride is to make a name for ourselves, which leads to this, church, write this down, the disobedience of pride, the disobedience of pride. 
because did you, you may have not seen this in the text, but I want to show this to you in verse number four. Look back at verse number four for a second because there's a little phrase here that is shocking and revealing and dark when you see it in the text. So here's number four again. Therefore, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. And that, check this other part out. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Wait a second. What did God tell them to do? Look back at it. Look at 9 and verse number 7. Here, here they are coming off the ark. And in chapter 9, verse 7, God said this, And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Spread out. Get out there. Fill the earth. And now here's the folks at Shinar saying, you know what? We're not going to do that. We need to gather together. We need to keep from being dispersed. We gotta build a city lest we are dispersed. It is blatant disobedience. Well, look, pride itself is disobedience. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Thus, this is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I mean, it's God's word, James acknowledges, teaches God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. And so we see it all over the place. Man, just take a trip through the book of Proverbs. I'll just focus on one chapter, chapter 16. It says this, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Wow. And all God's people said, wow, that's, that's a big warning. How about verse 18? Pride, we know this already, right? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride goes before destruction. Pride is disobedience. And here's the problem with pride. Pride leads to greater disobedience because here's, church, here's what's at the very root of pride. I know more than God. I know better than God. God said to the folks at Shinar, hey, disperse, fill the earth. And they said, you know what? That's not gonna make us happy. That's not gonna make us secure. We know more than God. We don't have to do this. Yeah, 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 I know God's word says to not bear false witness, to not lie, I know that. But in this case, I need to. So in this case, I know more than God. Sure, God's word says that lust is adultery in the heart, that it can lead to destruction, but listen, I need this right now. So I know more than God. When we think we know more than God, we will disregard his word in order to live according to our own word. And let's be honest, all sin is rooted in pride. And all sin has at the depth of it, the heart of it, I know better than God. I know what I need to be secure. I know what I need to be happy. I know that living for my name is better. So let me just state it very clearly for us this morning to put it in pure black and white. Listen, we don't know better than God. Say it with me, please. 
We don't know better than God. Listen, we don't know what will really make us happy. Do you really believe that? You don't know what will truly fill your soul. We don't know what we actually need to be secure. But God does. And we walk in obedience and we trust him. I wanna say for sure, living for your name is not gonna go better for you or be more satisfying to you than living for the name of Jesus. You making yourself known is not gonna fill your soul up more than making him known. I'll guarantee you that. Why? Because God's word says that. These things I've written to you that my joy remain in you and that your joy may be, church, do you know the word? Full or complete, depending on your translation. So I really want to encourage us in this. Listen, church, pride brings about disobedience because at the root of it, it distrusts God. Trust God again. By the way, do you know how to generate faith in your life? If you're saying, like, man, I'm struggling in faith, what do you do? Do you know what God's word says about this? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's memorize that verse together real quick. Say it with me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One more time. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Put yourself under the teaching of God's word in preaching, in personal study, and as you read and see God's word, your faith will increase. We see the disobedience of uh, pride. Let's also see this. This is interesting in the text. The disillusionment of pride. The disillusionment of pride. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I want you to take a look at verse number five. Then again, I've been so impressed by the genius of Moses and God as this text is being written. I want you to see what he says in verse number five. It's a really interesting way of saying this. And probably, if you're like me, the first time you read that, like you said, huh, hmm, I wonder why he said it like that. So here, let me show you why. Here's verse number five. And uh, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Did that catch you when Lauren was reading that? Like, the Lord came down. Wait, hold a second. We have an omnipresent everywhere at all times God. So why is the text saying that he came down from heaven? That's really an odd way of saying it. Okay, think about this. Um, how high were they gonna build the tower? To the heavens. So God's like, what's that down there? What'd they make? Oh, well, let's go check it out. I can't tell from up here. It's too puny. I need to go down and see what it is. And so he comes down. This is why Moses wrote this way, I think, to, to, to show they thought what they were going to build is so amazing and so grand, a tower that reaches the heaven. But God, to see it, has to come down from heaven. He has to condescend to see what they have done. And isn't this pride? Pride tricks you into believing that you are something that you're not that we're better than we think we are. It is such a thing that pride does to us. I uh, was in high school and uh, I took place in a talent contest, okay? And uh, I decided to sing uh, the music of the night by 
uh, but that was in the Phantom of the Opera, you know that song? And uh, I was, you know, I got uh, a tuxedo and uh, I went and got the, the mask to put on my face and put it on and I had this whole elaborate stage set up and, and, and in my mind, it was amazing. <laughs> It was so incredible, and I was so on, and at the end, I just put, put out a, a candle with my hand and do kind of this, and boy, as I pictured that, I thought that was so cool. For sure, I'm gonna win. And, but someone recorded it. Now, back then, to say someone recorded it, uh, it was kind of a big deal, because you had to like, bring a camcorder and, you know, and put a tape in there and all that, but someone recorded it, and then I watched it back, and I was like, oh. That was not what I thought it was. I was flat the whole time. My whole candle wick thing at the end looked really stupid. But in your mind, in your mind, pride makes you think you're something that you're not. And something we're all susceptible to. How many really good college athletes end up actually making it in pro to the degree that they make a name for themselves? Like if I said, hey, name off some famous football players of our time, you could probably name maybe five, six, if you're really into it, maybe 10. But do you know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of high school, really talented high school football players or college football players never ever make it? The reality of who we are is doesn't match the reality of who we think we are. This is true of a lot of young preachers because early on, you get like, oh, you're such a great preacher. Oh, you're so good. You're, you're amazing. You get to thinking, man, maybe I'm going to be the next John MacArthur. You know, that's a possibility. I mean, who knows? And reality is, maybe at best, you're eh, mediocre as a preacher. And it's just what you think in your head. But here's the reality. You get to the point, I hope you do, where it doesn't matter. I don't got to be great I just gotta take what I've been given and give it to the Lord. That's all I gotta do. And let him do with it what he will. So I've been saying this to myself a lot uh, lately. Uh, it's really been one of my um, helps to my anxiety is I'm gonna do my best and just trust Jesus with the rest. So yeah, I'm gonna give it my all. I'm gonna try as hard as I can, but the results are all the Lord's. So I'm gonna do my best and just trust Jesus with the rest and leave it all in his hands. If we're not careful, pride will disillusion us. God didn't design me and give me what he's given me to make a name for me. If God's given me anything, it is for his glory to make his name known. And so I'll just do my best and trust Jesus with the rest. The delusionment of pride, then I want you to see this in the text. We might not go to two, I guess, so we might get done on time. Uh, let's see the destruction of pride, the destruction of pride. Pride leads where it always does. God is true to his words, and the pride of Shinar leads to the humiliation of Shinar. I'm going to say it again. The pride of Shinar leads to the humiliation of Shinar. Take a look at verse number seven in your text. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language. The word confuse there is important. 
confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. God said disperse, God's glory will be made known. God will get the job done. God will do what he intends to do. And if he has to do this to get it done, he will. And in this case, what he had to do to disperse them was to confuse their language. Here's what's so interesting about that. Their hope was to make a name for themselves. So that even today, if we said Shinar, you'd be like, oh, Shinar, woo! I don't wanna be like a Shinerinian or a Shinerite, I don't know. But you know, like, wow, Shinar is incredible, but we don't know them as Shinar today. What do we know them as? Babel, you know what Babel means? It's really interesting. It is uh, close to a Hebrew word, and this is done all throughout the Old Testament. Remember when I talked about Samuel, and I said Samuel was close to the Hebrew word that means God hears, and same thing here. This is, it sounds a lot like it's close to the Hebrew word that means confusion. So they wanted to make a name for themselves, Shinar, but instead they get called confusion. And they are known centuries later as confusion. Church, this is what pride does. Where we long to make a name for ourselves, God makes this promise. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will give to no other. Going back to the same illustration here, 15 years ago, if you were to say the name James McDonald or Mark Driscoll, you back that up 15 years from where we are right now, what would you say about those guys? Well, I would have said for sure, he's a, James is a phenomenal communicator, he's a great leader, he loves the Lord, and you may have said the same thing about Mark Driscoll, and, and you know, I admire them a lot, I, I, I will admit that, I admire them a lot. A lot of people admired them. And they kind of love that. There was a story in the rise and fall of Mars Hill of Mark Driscoll in London. And he was there with his tech team. And one of the guys in the tech team, you know, they kind of, after a conference, they kind of rushed out and they got into a car. And there was a lot of people kind of waiting at the car to kind of like meet Mark. And they had to rush in almost like, you know, Elvis style or something. And they get in there and, uh, uh, and, and Mark said to the tech guy, hey, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. And the guy kind of laughed like, <laughs> but Mark wasn't laughing because he really believed. I'm kind of a big deal. So today, when you say the name Mark Driscoll and you say the name James McDonald, what comes to our mind today? Arrogance, pride, abuse, fallen, promise. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. But is it easy to notice this in yourself? Is it easy to see how easy and quick our hearts tend to run to self-glorification. 
we don't catch it quick, it will destroy us. My advice is to hire a staff that makes fun of you all the time. It really helps to keep you humble. (laughs) But in all honesty, to surround yourself with people who are willing to say to you, that's a little prideful. And to have a heart that can hear that. I'm no better than any of these men that have fallen. Far from it, far worse, far less gifted, far less charismatic. And only by the grace of God. And probably I fail at it all the time, I imagine. But I put my hope somewhere else and that brings us to the last warning of the day, which is this. Now we're gonna shift gears a little bit and we're gonna talk then about the destination of humility because this is incredible. It was so fun to see this in the text, to see what God is doing here. The story that God writes here is so amazingly, amazingly beautiful. Another just confirmation that the, this book has one author. This book has one author and that is God himself. And you'll see just how beautiful God ties all of this up in the end. But let's talk about this, a destination of humility. Uh, So uh, the Tower of Babel, we can look back on the Tower of Babel. This is what we see there, where we can look again forward and see some interesting things because the word Babel is how we're translating this, how the ESV and most translations translate this here. But almost every other place in the Old Testament, the same word is translated a little differently. Almost every other place, this word is translated not Babel, but Babylon, You could say, this is the Tower of Babylon. This is the Tower of the people who will one day take God's people captive in sin and destruction. This is the the city that was so caught up in sexual immorality. That's Babylon. Seven decades of Exile are coming from Babylon, and then we see this in the book of Revelation. As we look forward to what's ahead, there will be another great Babylon. And look what God has said about this. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And this call he gives to God's people, take a look at this in Revelation 18, four through five, where it says this, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as the heavens. Tell me that's not an allusion to Babylon in the, uh, the Tower of Babel. And God has remembered her iniquities. Man, now I believe the fulfillment of this and in, in, in my understanding of eschatology, and there's some room here, but my understanding is this will be actually fulfilled in the tribulation period. But church, can't we see this warning for ourselves today in a culture that celebrates pride? And I'm not just talking about the pride of the month, I'm talking about the pride of all the time. 
make a name for yourself, be known, be an influencer. Everyone wants to see what you had for breakfast this morning. In a pride, in a culture that's pushing us to pride, can't we say we should come out of her, not partake of her sins? And instead, instead of running to our own glory in our own name, church, let us run to the glory in the name of Jesus. Jesus, the great uniter, who from church, listen, who from the confusion of sin is winning back to himself an inheritance of nations. Revelation chapter seven. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples and church languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying with one loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. From the confusion of sin, God brings back a people, an inheritance of all the nations and unites them under the banner of his love and his sacrifice for his glory in that alone. And how did this come about? How did this become a reality? Paul tells us in Philippians just how. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The end of the story of the Tower of Babylon is Jesus wins and he doesn't win through pride. He wins through humility. And our great challenge from that same text is this. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also the interests of others. Can we just read this last phrase together as we close today? Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the challenge. Be like Jesus. Be humble. Fight against the pride of our culture and watch God do glorify things for himself as a result. God, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for this story, this text, these challenges, the beauty of your word and we look at this and we say one thing plain and simple. There's only one person that deserves the glory, only one, and it's our amazing God. It is Jesus Christ. I can't wait for the day when we're in heaven and we're among the great multitude. 
And we're looking around and we're seeing different people of different tribes and different languages. And, diff- and yet we join in unison praise in your name. Father, we had a glimpse of that this morning in our worship service. But Father, how much greater will that be in the glories of heaven? But let that image bring me to my knees and to help me fight against what's in my own heart. Give us humility for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Dude, five minutes early. Wow. And six points. God, be, don't, don't clap for, after that sermon, you're clapping for me? Good gravy. You are loved.